I want to today hopefully share with you in this story all that God did to win your heart. All that this story is about uh, comes together and it's about you. And so I want to share with you this morning from that perspective. The dictionary says that sacrifice is forfeiting something highly valued for the sake of what, what's considered to have greater value. God did what only he could do in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on the cross for us. The story of Easter is truly about you and it is about me. The story doesn't actually begin in Matthew chapter 27. It actually begins, Easter's story begins in chapter 26. And I want to try to um, <clears throat> give you the background of where we will be in chapter 27 today. Jesus, uh, we know, was born in Bethlehem. The whole Christmas story, Jesus did not come as the world expected him to come. He came born to a, a carpenter's son, he was the son of God, born of a virgin, but his stepdad was just a normal guy. And so he grew up in a way that the world did not see him as the Messiah. And so when Jesus came onto the scene and began to make the claims that he was the son of God, the religious community did not embrace that. They, in fact, rebelled against that. And as Jesus began to have a following, he, he chose his disciples. He did not go to downtown church in Jerusalem to get the greatest scholars of the day. Jesus chose those who he knew would make a difference after he was gone. And so Jesus chose 12 people who really were not on anybody's list. They were the underdogs. They, they were the forgotten. They were the ones who nobody thought could be used by God. And he lived his life in ministry in those last three years, proclaiming the name of God, proclaiming the glories of God, and proclaiming that he would eventually pay the price for the sins of the world. And so Jesus um, caused a lot of controversy in the religious community, and they decided that we're going to be done with this Jesus. Jesus knew all of this was coming. He told his disciples that he would lose his life, that, that they could not protect him. And so he is in chapter 26 of Matthew, found in the Garden of Gethsemane, actually asking God if there is another way for this to happen, if there is another route that you can save the world, then I ask that you would do that. But if it is your will, then I will willingly give my life. One of Jesus's own disciples, Judas, sold him out. He, he betrayed him. He brought the guards to Jesus for 30 pieces of silver he was paid. And they are beginning to arrest Jesus. Now you got to remember that Jesus' disciples were, some of them, a little rough around the edges. Now, God always knows what he needs, and so he knew he would need, after Jesus was gone, Jesus knew that he would need some strong leaders. But in this moment, those guys were ready to take on the world for Christ. And so as they began to arrest Jesus, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, whips out his sword and he whacks off the ear of one of the guards. And Jesus said, hold on, this is not how this is going to go. We're going to do this in a different way. And he picks up the ear of the guard and he heals him. Even the one who was about to take him and have him crucified. Jesus then was 
carted off into downtown and put through what most legal experts would say one of the biggest shams of a trial in all of history. Jesus who had committed no sin. Jesus who had done nothing wrong. Jesus who had actually lived by the law that the, that the religious leaders say that he was rebelling against was put in trial. He, he was actually put into two trials. He was put into a religious trial and he was put through a governmental trial. Neither one really was able to find real fault in him. In fact, there was false testimony and the whole trial was just a joke because they just wanted to crucify Jesus. He was even actually offered to be let go and they said, no, we want to crucify him. The crucifixion was a way that they wanted to torture him. They could have chosen any death, but God knew what was going to happen. And then as he got the verdict of crucifixion and on top of that to be whipped 39 lashes. It's very interesting if you study history, the people who were in charge of giving that beating, that 39 lashes, literally knew how to take you within an inch of your life and stop. They believed that they could take in 40 lashes someone's life, and so they stopped at 39. The men who would, who would do these beatings had, had a long leather whip, and at the end of the, the whip would, would, would be bone and glass that was tied into the ends of those, those lashes. And as they began to uh, take the, the whip and rip it into Jesus' flesh, they literally knew how to just rip off chunks of flesh and keep from taking his life. So even before Jesus was taken to the cross, he was bleeding in a bloody mess. He, he was within an inch of his life being killed. But you need to understand that Jesus took that beating for you. Jesus took that beating for me. And the elements of the story that I want us to focus on this morning begin in Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 27. And it says this, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole uh, battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and they put his clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him. There, there are several things that happen in this first section of how they are torturing Jesus. Not only had they beaten him, but then they put a robe on him and they, they shoved a crown of thorns on his head. And, and you, you know, many of you have seen a picture of, a, of what it would have looked like. It wasn't like small thorns that would be on a rose bush. These were long, sharp thorns that when shoved on his head were shoved into his skin and was very painful. And Jesus took that crown of thorns. And I, I want to suggest to you that that crown of thorns was the consequence of our sin. That as, as Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, that, the, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room, every one of us has sinned. We, we have a sin problem. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. You see, Jesus, he, he, he bore the consequences. He, he bore the crown of our sin for what we have done wrong. Jesus was mocked for our sin. But I want you to know that Jesus chose that crown of thorns. In verse 30, it says that not only did they beat him and shove that crown on his head, but they also said that the scripture says that they spit on him, meaning to try to degrade him. The spit didn't hurt him, but it it was humiliating. It it was degrading to Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that, that that spit that was spit upon Jesus was the guilt of our sin. The weight of everything that we have done, that guilt was poured out on Jesus. But here's what I want you to know, that Jesus took that abuse for you. And he took that abuse for me. If you look in verses 31 and following, it begins to tell the story of what they did to Jesus. We read verse 31, look in verse 32. And they went out and they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry Jesus' cross. And I'll pause there because Jesus was literally on the edge of death already, being beaten. Most doctors believe that he had lost a great amount of blood, so he did not have the strength to carry his own cross. The carrying of the cross through town was meant to be a walk of shame, and the city would come out and they would, they would throw things at them and they would mock them. And Jesus did not even have the strength to carry his own cross through the city. Verse 33, And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Now, here's what I want to bring a very real picture of what happened to Jesus. Not only was he going to be crucified, but his personal body was was exposed to the world. He was beaten. He was was, uh, spit upon. He, He had the crown of thorns. But I want you to know they stripped him of his clothes. He was hanging naked on the cross and his mother was in the crowd. So he had personal shame. He, he had personal uh, uh, integrity, that, uh, uh, not integrity, but personal uh, shame in, in having to be exposed to the world with everything. He also was spiritually going to be shamed before God because Jesus who had committed no sin, Jesus who had done nothing wrong, Jesus who was committed of a crime that he was, he was not guilty of, was about to be separated from God. It says that when he was nailed to the cross, that it was the beginning of God pouring out the sins of the world upon him. Now, I want to be very clear. The crucifixion was meant to be a torture. Many of us have seen pictures where Jesus' hands were pierced, but I want you to know that they pierced his wrist. They pierced his wrist because if they put a nail in their hand, there's nothing there to stop it from ripping out. They wanted him to live on the cross for a period of time because every breath that he would have to take, he would have to pull up on the nail that was shoved into his wrist to take a breath. He would have to push up with the nails that were in his feet. 
And that pressure and pain he would have to experience every single breath that he took. But I want you to know that Jesus did that for you. He chose the cross. He chose the nails that were driven into his wrists and into his feet. Jesus chose that. How do we know that? If you look back in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, Jesus said, listen, I want to be very clear. If I wanted to be free of this, I could call a, a 10,000 angels down and wipe this place out. You see, Jesus, they, they didn't take his life. He freely gave it. They didn't kill him. Jesus gave his life. In verse 37, it says that, that they put a sign up. Verse 37 says, and over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. They meant it as a mockery, not as a declaration of who he was. And then it says that two robbers were also crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by deriddled him and wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, then come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him by saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. They were ridiculing Jesus. They were making fun of him. They were trying to tear him down. And even on top of that, they, they had him crucified with two other criminals on the cross. It says in Matthew chapter 27 that two other criminals were crucified with him. If you look in the, um, if you look in the, the Luke passage of the crucifixion, it actually gives us a greater picture into these two men and a conversation that goes on. In Luke chapter 23, it says that one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, even on the cross... Even when he was being mocked and, and beaten and, and his life being ripped from him, Jesus chose mercy. Jesus gave mercy to the man beside him on the cross. But then in verses 45 through 54, we see the end. Or at least what the world thought was the end. You see, the religious community are watching this gruesome act happen. And in their minds, they're thinking, finally, we are done with this Jesus. Finally, we will be rid of his problems, his issues, this whole him, him doing miracles and him trying to redefine what we had in place. Because they weren't following God's ways. They were following theirs way. They, they, they had twisted God's law. They had twisted God's intention. Look at verse 45. 
It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lemai, Sabbathathani, and that is, my God, my God, why hast thou, has thou, have, have thou forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them ran, ran up and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. In other words, he died. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And the centurions who were with him, watching over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, and they were filled with awe, and they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, what you have to remember is what happened in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you need to know that Jesus was there at creation. And so now, as Jesus has come from heaven to earth, took on an earthly body, and now had the sins of the world poured out on him, and his life taken from him, the world goes into chaos. The world begins to freak out. There is, a, there is darkness over the land as God pours out the sin of the world on him. As he, God the Father, has to turn his back on his son, there is darkness and the world goes into chaos. There is an earthquake that happens that begins to shake the earth and rocks begin to split in half. And even the tombs begin to yield up the dead and the dead become alive again. And they walk into the city. You see, the world could not handle the fact that, their cre that its creator was dead. And it begins to go into a chaotic state in the temple where the religious community, where the followers of God had, had gone for ages into the Holy of Holies. If only the priest once a year could go into this place and, and offer a sacrifice for the people. God says, now that's going to be changed now I have sent the ultimate sacrifice. No longer do you have to bring a sacrifice, bring a lamb, bring an offering to pour the blood out. God said, I am pouring out the blood for the whole world. And the temple, which had a, a veil, that veil was rent from top to bottom. It, it was now open to the whole world. Now, when you want to talk to God, you don't have to talk through a pastor or a priest. You can talk to him all on your own. You see, what was happening was things were changing. And you see, Jesus had built the whole thing up to this point. You, you need to know that all of creation had come to this point. From Genesis all the way up to the gospel accounts that we're reading today. It had all come together for this. It had all come together for this point in time. All of the gospel had strung out through the Old Testament that we read. And now had come to the New Testament time period with Jesus dying on the cross. But I want you to know, even in the life of Jesus, that all of the miracles that he had performed, all the things that he had done, he had done for a reason. 
And if I could encourage you this morning to see yourself in all that Jesus did in the three years of ministry, many of you could see a picture of yourself in one of Jesus' acts. You see the woman at the well who came to Jesus just wanting to get a drink of water, just wanting to get water for her household. Jesus told her that she had the opportunity to be forgiven of all she had done and to sin no more. That may be a picture of you or a picture of me. When Jesus met the blind, when Jesus met the lame, when Jesus met the deaf, and he healed them, he changed their life, he, he, uh, he took their affirmities, he, he took their disease, and he healed them. You may see a picture of you, or you may see a picture of me. Jesus met 10 lepers on the road who were dying of a horrible disease. And Jesus not only cleansed their, their skin, he not only cleared up their disease, but he offered them forgiveness and salvation. You may see a picture of you or a picture of me. Jesus saw the woman with the blood issue, who believed if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, if I can just get a little bit of the power that is within Christ, then I will be healed physically. And Jesus said, you're not only healed physically, but I'm going to heal your soul. You might see a picture of you or a picture of me there. Or you might think of the story in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus comes to Jesus, a very smart religious man. He had, he had learned all the things that he was supposed to in church. And he said, God, Jesus, I just don't understand. How am I to be born again? How am I to get a new life in you? And Jesus said, life comes from God alone. And when you choose to follow me, then I will change your life. See, you might see a picture of yourself there. You see, the world thought that when they heard the end of this story, when they heard what had happened, that it would all be over. You see, verse 57, it says, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus, and he went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered for it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. Verse 62 says, The next day, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and they said, Sir, remember how that imposter said, when he was still alive, after three days I will rise and therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And so Pilate said to them, you, you have a guard of soldiers, go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. You see, the world thought if we could keep him in the tomb, there will be no problems. He's dead. His body's in this, in this tomb. And now the grave is the end. But I want you to know this. God didn't go halfway for you. 
God didn't say, I'm going to give most of what you need. God went the whole way. He took our sins. He bore our shame. He felt the guilt of your sin and my sin. And he paid the price. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid your price. A wage is something that you earn, and you have earned death for your sin. Jesus said, I'm going to pay that for you. I'm going to pay your bill. God did all of that to you for, for you. But you need to know that Jesus dying would not have been enough. Although he lived a perfect life, although he had the sins of the world poured out on him, it would not have been enough because Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus was the Savior. You see, Jesus wasn't going to let it stop there. God doesn't live by what is possible. God lives by what is impossible. God can do whatever he desires. And what differentiates him from the other gods that the world worships is that there is no other God that has died and come back to life. And so Jesus was dead for three days. Somebody said Jesus was in a coma. Let me tell you something. When you lose as much blood and you're stabbed in the side as Jesus was and crucified on the cross, suffocated with no air, you don't go into a coma. You die. Jesus was dead in the grave. And I want you to know the only thing that was going to bring him back to life was the power of God. If you look in Matthew chapter 28, what happens is that God says, you know what? You may think it's impossible, but there is nothing impossible for me. Look at verse 1. It says, now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week on Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. You know what that means? They were out cold. They were out. They were asleep. They were, they passed out. They could not handle being in the presence of such a holy thing that was going on. The angels knocked them out. Verse five. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen and he, and as he said, as he said, come and see the place where he lay and then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee and there you shall see him. See, I have told you. You see what happened on that day is that Jesus did not stay in the grave. He came back to life. There is no other God that has ever done that because there is only one God. And that is the heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ, was put in the grave and he did not stay there. He came back to life. You got to understand, though, the cost for Jesus was high. Jesus, who was at the right hand of the father, who had the ability to have anything and do anything that he wanted. He left that position, became a human just like you and I for us. Now, I don't know what it's like to be a God, but I know what it's like to be a human, and it can't be nearly as good to be a human. He came and he did this for us. He, he took on an earthly body. He lived on this earth. He, he dealt with the problems and the issues of life. And then he endured the trial as an innocent man. He took the pain and the suffering of the cross 
the shame of being crucified before his own mother. The cost was high, but that was only a fraction of the cost because the greater cost came on a spiritual level. Because Jesus bore the price of your sin and for mine. Jesus paid that price. And the worst part of that was at the moment that God poured out the sins of the world upon Jesus, that God turned his back because God cannot be in the presence of sin. You see, it, it came at a great cost. The, the price that Jesus paid was high, but you need to know this. Jesus did all of that for you. Jesus did all of that for me. Jesus did that to win your heart. The message of the cross is not complicated. It is, it is very simple. It is black and white. Romans chapter 6 that we have talked about, that the wages of sin is death. The second half of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus went from death to life. Jesus went from darkness into the light. Jesus went from desperation to celebration. Jesus went from hopelessness to purpose. Jesus went from confusion to clarity. Jesus brought all of life and the world into focus that first Easter Sunday morning when he said, death will not win, the grave cannot hold me, and the sins of the world are paid in full. You see, Jesus did what only he could do. Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 this way. He said, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Can I translate that for you? Jesus came that you would not have to feel the pain and the burden and the shame and the guilt of your sin. Jesus came so that you might be set free. You don't have to live in the bondage of sin. Some of you in, there, in here this morning, you're dealing with the sin in your life. You're dealing with the bondage of what you have done in your past. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus came that you might be free. Jesus came that you would not have to feel that weight any longer. You may have come here today for whatever reason, because your family invited you you may have come because a friend invited you. You may come because every Easter you go to church. I don't care why you came, but here's what I want you to know. Jesus did all of this to win your heart. Jesus did all this to pay your price. And the work on the cross is real. And the grave that Jesus was in was real. And he got up out of that grave for you. He paid your price so that you might be free. So this morning, if you're hurting, if you're helpless, if you're hopeless, if you're confused, if you're frustrated, if you're angry, here's what I want you to know. This is your last chance. This is your last hope. You're not going to find your peace. You're not going to find your forgiveness. You're not going to find grace anywhere else but at the foot of the cross. And Jesus wants you to know that he did all of it for you. Jesus went the full distance so that you can know him today. How do I know that? One verse that I'll share with you in closing this morning. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world 
that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus did that for you. He didn't have to. He wasn't obligated to. Jesus didn't have to pay your price. He did it because He wanted to. They did not, listen, they did not take the life of Jesus. He freely gave it for you so that He could win your heart. So if you're here today and you need that forgiveness, you need that grace, you need your sins to be covered, here's what I want you to know. You can have a reason to live. You can have a hope for tomorrow. You can have a peace of your sins being covered and being forgiven. here's Here's what's great is that God says, I don't care about where you've been. I care about where you're going. But pastor, you don't know where I've been. Listen, God knows and he doesn't care. He's willing to forgive you and to forget your past and give you a future that will literally be the best thing that you could ever imagine. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I want you to know today the hope that I have, that I have experienced, you can have as well. You can have Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You can have forgiveness of your sins and you can live no longer in bondage but in the freedom of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ.